In a world where two duck fans wanted to record a podcast about Oregon duck sports and other stuff, this, this podcast is what they came up with. I know, it's not very good, but it's the best they could do. Anyway, welcome to the flock. We lost a few games, tough. That was District 5. Now we're the ducks. Yeah. And the ducks... Yeah. Are undefeated. Oh, right. yeah. Quack. 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 Everybody to the flock pod hashtag zero fifty one. You can find us everywhere on all those beautiful social media platforms and streaming services at the flock pod. You can find myself at Coach Justin D on those same platforms. Well, I guess not the streaming platforms. I don't have my uh, SoundCloud up yet. My, my, <laughs> my sound, I should work on that though. I should get a little uh, SoundCloud system set up. Yeah, a good place for our freestyles. Too. Right, exactly. Yeah. Shane. Tell them where you are, man. You can find me at Shane Potter Six on the Twitter for all the sports stuff, and at Waka Flocka Shane Six on the Instagram for uh, all the other thing else. Cats mainly, cats. from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly cats. Are you more of a cat guy? Uh, you know I am. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I kind of feel like the in Robert De Niro and Meet the Parents when he says like, you know, cats are more difficult. You have to earn. Their this is life. very true. I yeah. saw that on a meme the other day, and I was like, I felt a little attacked because <laughs> I'm definitely more of a dog guy. Um, but that's good. We bet that's the balance that we need here on the Flock Pod. You know, bringing well, different perspectives. Yeah, me and my wife too. We're not we with our work schedules. We're not at home a lot together. Uh, so a dog is kind of a harder kind of absolutely. Or a cat, you you know, you can feed it, and then you're kind of good. Yeah, we're well, living in the country, also. Mm-hmm. You know, they can kind of feed themselves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We may have another addition to the uh, Pluid family coming up soon, and if that comes official, we'll have an official announcement here on the Flock Pod. But oh, we'll wow. see. Yeah, we may okay. be. Yeah, we may be. Uh, we may. Yeah, anyway, we'll move on. Hey, it's producer Zuko, you're killing Speak, me, buddy. Speaking of dogs. Yeah, pretty, yeah. He's, he's definitely <laughs> trying to be very involved in the podcast today. All right, so we've got a great show for you today. Actually, a lot of content to get to, which is very exciting. You know, it's been a long time. Um, I want to start off the podcast, though, by just, I mean, obviously living here in Eugene, Oregon, uh, the wildfires and the things that have been happening here in the community have really been... Um, devastating you know for lack of a better word the the element of this that i kind of want to focus on and just really praise here as we get this podcast started is i just want to commend the community and the volunteers and the way that everybody came together to really help those people that were displaced help those people that you know lost their homes lost items and i just you know i just round of applause for for the the length the oregon community itself and um for putting differences aside and just trying to do everything they can to help people yeah i mean this is like nothing we'd ever seen before or no. uh, I, something I definitely didn't see coming. It was weird even getting like the notice on Monday. I was doing a fancy draft at my buddy's place. Yep. And yeah, Monday was a big day. Kind of got smoky and like, but it was like, oh, he's no big deal. Like this, it won't be anything. And then the next day it being like, oh, this is a, this is a big, massive. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like we were talking about pre-podcast. I mean, seeing, you know, numbers for air quality that they don't even know what it does to the human body. So uh, looking out, you know, let's see what happens in the next couple of years. And I guess we'll figure it out. And that's why we didn't uh, have a podcast last week, even with some breaking news. Yes. But uh, yeah, we kind of decided it was best to just stay inside as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I wasn't really trying to go out and breathe that air any more than I was trying to. I didn't, have, I didn't have an N95 mask. Which I got one of those, and it did. actually did make a difference. But, yeah, on that note, we, we really work hard to give you an in-person podcast. I mean, there have definitely been times where we've looked at doing, like, the Zoom thing. But I just feel like, personally, should we get a better vibe when we're here in person, in the condo? Um, it's just better podcast, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And uh, that way, we don't have any technical faux pas any technical issues <laughs> yeah you know me living downtown we're a little bit better connected over here for uh, sure yeah, yes yeah. um but yeah anybody out there that is struggling with that we our hearts go out to you um i know there's been a couple you know gofundmes and things like that going around a couple venmos going around so just if you can do what help you can. The, yeah exactly do exactly what you can help out those around you so um moving forward because this is a silly sports podcast and uh, we're going to focus on some silly sports now moving forward um just jumping right on, we are still partnered with westcoastcfb.com, so definitely go check them out. Uh, we will talk about one of their articles here later on in the podcast, a little tease about the best facilities in the Pac-12. Uh, a lot of football talk today, a lot of basketball talk. That's pretty much predominantly what's in the news right now, so that's mm -hmm. what we're going to focus on. Uh, but let's jump right into it. The big news that's really become official in the last few days is... It looks like West Coast football's back, Shane. It, yeah, uh, we don't want to jinx it, you know, do a little wood knocking, but um, it's not it, anybody at the door, Zuko. Relax. <laughs> all the steps uh, for football to come back into play here in the very near future have yes. kind of uh, all those boxes have been checked lately. Um, it looks like Governor Kate Brown here in Oregon is letting players come back to football activities and clearing up that schedule. Looks like they're still going to have the same conference only schedule that they you know uh put together beforehand but now it's actually happening and it, uh, it feels like it kind of came with the big 10 uh you know well it's an interesting timeline forward. right it's an interesting timeline i was listening to the press box podcast this morning on the ringer if you haven't listened to that definitely go check those guys out very topical for sports media anything um and just them talking about the big 10 the way this has all moved forward and them kind of putting to bed some of these rumors, you know, that the, the man in the White House had a lot to do with this all happening. And I think it's just more the timeline. And this is something we talked about um, last time we recorded is the Pac-12, you know, made that agreement um, with the testing company to kind of move that forward. Um, numbers here in the area have been decreasing. Um, the wildfires definitely complicated matters, you know, just kind of right. getting things back into where, you know, we could actually have a conversation about things again. But it's really been that timeline and that 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 connection with the testing company has been the biggest hurdle, like we discussed last week, mm -hmm. and then getting approval then from local governments as the, the, the conference was able to actually put a plan together. Right. And we did see some players step forward. Uh, Tyler Shook was the, the duck mm -hmm. that kind of came forward, wrote the letter to Kate Brown saying, like, you know, we want to play. We're seeing it. And it's got to be tough, too, that I know I was pretty pro- I guess still I am, you know, erring on the side of caution with everything. But once I kind of saw the East Coast college football start, it was like, whoa, I well, think we could, could maybe happen. Um, we're but, still seeing games be canceled, though. Like North Carolina had a point. game scheduled. And that's what I think we're both on the same page where even now it just – I still tend to side with Kirk Herbstreet. You know, his comments way, way, way in the past where he was talking about these just – I just don't know if we should be playing right now. These are young athletes that, I mean, if you, you couldn't have told me anything at 20. Right. You know, I was, I was impervious to pain and impervious to any lifelong threatening issues at 20 years old. So I understand the mindset of these athletes, especially because these are D1 athletes. These are people that have 
use their body to accomplish incredible things. So right. They could like they, they could literally good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I may have had the mind and heart, but I didn't have the physical abilities, you know, and um, they were born with that talent. And so, you know, they, to have that ability and then to be told not to be able to do something, I understand. And to have the families getting involved. And I just wish that we would, again, the testing is big, but comments like LSU's head coach at Orgeron scare the crap out of me. Yeah. When he's saying, oh, well, now everybody on the roster's had it. Now we can maybe move forward. Guess what? People are now getting it a second time. Mm-hmm. Guess what? People are now getting a mutated version of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know enough. And I understand that it's kind of from a fear mindset. And yes, I'm an Oregonian. And yes, we're all like peace, love and all that kind of stuff over here. But at the end of the day, the reason why this is happening is still money, Shane. Oh, yeah. This is not happening because the NCAA and these conferences out of the good of their heart want to let these athletes go fulfill their athletic dreams. <laughs> That's not the case. No. They're going to talk about that being the reason, but this is money. This is TV contracts. These are using these hundreds of million dollar facilities that these universities have built. It all comes down to money. Oh, for sure. I mean, that that's the, the catalyst for basically everything. Cash and, rules and everything around me. Yeah. yeah. But I mean... If you look at it on more just like the the purity of the sport side, you do see too these players have. I mean, it's it's so hard to break your kind of like your routine and everything. Absolutely, and, when, and especially with these players, like a routine is such a big part of their lives mm-hmm. that when it gets taken away and then they're watching the other players play, it's just got to be driving them crazy. But again, it's kind of like we're saying that whole that college uh, mentality is you're not thinking. Yeah, far enough down, like the down the tunnel. And these kids aren't getting paid. Yeah, it's different for professional athletes to be out there sacrificing themselves, and that's why I think again, moving forward, the NCAA is putting themselves in a very interesting position. Having these student athletes come back to play could really come back to bite them later on in future lawsuits or legislation, saying, "Okay, these actually are employees." Right. These are not volunteers. These are not student athletes. These are athletic students. But they also have it in their back pocket when the students are pushing so hard to play. 100%. And that's why that, it was smart to wait for them to have the outrage. Yeah, that now they can use that Tyler Shook letter or the, uh, I can't remember his name, but the USC football player who sent the letter to their governor. And I'm sure in Washington as well, there was probably probably a cougar. I'm assuming there aren't too many Huskies writing letters out there. <laughs> just, just the <laughs> random shot at Seattle. You know I love it. You know I love it. Um, but yeah, th- now, you know, th- they really did push this forward. And I mean, I I think it can be done in, in the safest way possible. Now, whether or not that is inherently safe in itself exactly. is kind of, you know, where they're going to be walking that line. Mm. And like we've seen with the Virginia schools and North Carolina and a lot of these places. And Tennessee. who Yeah, and Tennessee. who <laughs> have, Like in states that haven't taken it as seriously. Um, so, I mean, it is it, it is more understandable. They would have more, more cases. outbreaks. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's going to be just fascinating to see how things move forward in regards to if the Pac-12 does have to cancel a game or two here and there, if they do have outbreaks. Because I, I believe they'll be able to put a better quality product on the field due to their better testing. What that looks like, we still have no idea. Mm-hmm. Where we're literally in a new world right now in regards to sports. Right, and we'll like with this moving forward, we probably won't see fans in the stands in the Pac-12 outside of maybe Utah, Arizona. Arizona might, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be like a universal Pac-12 rule, though. I and don't think they is, can do that. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I think it really comes down to the local governments and what they begin to allow. And I think you'll see universities individually pushing for it because they want the revenue and they want mm-hmm. the, the other sales that come from all of that. 
But again, we are literally in a whole new world. You know, queue up Jasmine and Aladdin from uh, and Disney. There are some financial impacts in the community that aren't, you know, directly related to the UFO. The hotels mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. And the quarantine. You're quarantining that. 18 to 23 year old college football players. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw what happened with NBA players. You saw when they even put them in a bubble. You saw what the Seattle football player tried to do. You know, I mean, (laughs) these are these are still young men and the other young athletes. I mean, not not to get so focused on football here, but this does set a precedent for possible other sports to now come back and how they're going to play. Right. You know, we'll talk more about college basketball and I'm sure episodes to come. But there's plans being put in place now for that to be happening. Right. And they just released when they're going to start the season. Yeah. uh, So whether they are able to stick to that or not, will I'm sure have something to do with how much success these other sports have in testing and, you know, maintaining these quarantines and these these little mini traveling bubbles yeah, you know i guess whatever you whatever you call it but i mean with uh i mean cl- most classes will be online and i'm guessing for the student athletes it's going to be 100 percent online because they want to push them away from, yeah yeah i mean how many of their in-person classes they're really doing in the first place it's another conversation we will never know it's a whole other podcast it's a whole other podcast <laughs> But in some bright news in the football world, I mean, this is with this happening, there are some players that this is extremely beneficial for. Mm-hmm. Your Tyler Shooks of the world, who, you know, had just kind of bolstered themselves into this position. Yep. And then with the, you know, the recruiting path and everything, now that all is kind of normalizing itself a little bit more. Um, the big names are still coming in for the U of O, too. And yes. a couple names still out there kind of waiting to see what they're going to do. Um, Corey Foreman is still hasn't taken an organ out of his top seven. Uh, the kid out of Sammamish, uh, JT Tulmalau. Great name. Um, who's another defensive end. He, him and uh, Corey Foreman are kind of split on who's the number one player in the nation. But uh, right. he, a lot of people are saying that he's going to be pretty much going to Ohio State. They have that pretty much locked in. But he does have Oregon in his top five. Never so know. That's big too. You never know. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see. We haven't seen this affect recruiting at all. You know, like we talked no. about, we, we really haven't seen that. You know, oh my gosh, the Pac-12 isn't playing. They're going to, all those kids. And I've seen so many people on Twitter. I went after somebody like last week talking about how oh, the Pac-12 is now just an open transfer portal and all these SEC being like, what do we have to do to get Panay Suel here? And it's just like, man, just, sh-. I almost cursed again. And I, I, I held myself <laughs> back. But these are young men. These are not, these are not chess pieces. These are right. not your your fantasy football players. These are not guys on your Madden roster that you just get to transfer back and forth. And it really bothers me when I see people tweeting and saying things like, our players. Mm-hmm. They're not your players. You have no ownership over these young men. <laughs> like we, we have stuff hanging on our walls too, but we yes. don't think it's any more than just Absolutely. We are fans. That. We are super fans. That's why we have this podcast. We, we 100% admit that we are semi-professional amateur podcasters <laughs> and fans at the exact same time that's why this podcast is so fun but we don't take ownership of these players they are still their own individuals their own human beings and they're allowed to make their own choices and decisions without us being able to yeah anyway i'm gonna go yeah. off on a whole nother rant here shane take yeah, these, talk, talk about something else everybody's entitled to their opinion yeah but, get me uh, out of here get me out of here shane <laughs> it's another thing to just tear people down i was talking about this the other day i think that through all of this, it almost almost might be beneficial in recruiting in some cases. Um, just knowing that you are, are 
sending your kid to a program that actually cares and isn't willing to just throw them out in the fire immediately. I would hope a lot of parents take that into consideration. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that there's some families that, that value something like that. And I hope so. That, that value it maybe the other way. But, I mean, who knows? That's to each, again, to each their own. To Americas. Yeah. Um... But I don't know where to go from there, Shane. <laughs> I got a, I got a little deep there. I got a little out of my. We got a little in the weeds. Yeah, um, I was like, how do I stir this shit? Yeah. Out of so usually I'm the one putting things kind of back on board. So when I take things off the rails, there. I think you had some recruiting, some more recruiting news for us. Uh, so a player we talked about on the previous podcast, Curtis Neal, the defensive tackle, big body out of North Carolina, just um, announced that he will be making his college decision on December 10th. Great. So a couple more. Uh, pieces kind of falling into, you know, falling in a row. Today we had uh, Damon David, uh, safety, uh, didn't see where he's from actually, but 12th ranked safety in the country, 229th ranked overall. Uh, we had a four-star tight end last week Yep. Uh, also commit. So keep those four stars rolling in. I like yeah, it. Yeah, the 2022 class is coming in really well. Oregon now has the number three 2021 class just behind Ohio State and Alabama. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Cristobal is cementing himself and with the other recruiters in the program as just, you know, really dominating this West Coast and kind of spreading a little bit more nationally, like as we have talked about, like Curtis Neal in North Carolina and other players coming from other non-traditional pipeline states. One, it's going to be interesting to see how, again, like we've talked about before, we don't believe this is going to affect recruiting, but how the outcome of this season now happens, I think, does have a chance. Because Oregon was really in a position to be one of the top teams in the country. I mean, that's that's an unbiased. My green and yellow glasses are off when I say mm-hmm. that. They were a top 10 team. Right. You know, I mean, it all kind of depends on how the quarterback position plays out here for the Ducks this year. But they've got tons of talent around him. With the people that have opted out, I think Oregon's still in a position to be a top 15, top 20 team in the country. And how they're able to now play in this new environment, handle this adversity, handle this new routine. Like you mentioned, these players, are a lot of them are creatures of habit. What are they going to do now when things are shook up? Right. And I do think that playing this season, one of the good benefits for the University of Oregon football program is to kind of keep that squeeze on Southern California. You let one season go by and a lot of those SoCal recruits might start like leaning back into the USC kind of mm-hmm. tradition in which most of, you know, throughout the last couple of decades, that's kind of been the case where as of recently, Oregon started plucking these Kayvon Thibodeaux from that area mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, been the, the pillar of the Pac-12. So I think this keeps that pressure on California and that pressure for them to try and keep in-state recruits just that. Even more so, yeah. I mean, we've talked about the... Not so much the fall, but just the, the steady decline of both USC and UCLA. And that's for, for numerous different reasons in regards to a leadership perspective from the university to different things happening in the L.A. area and kids wanting to mm-hmm. get out of L.A. So it's, it's fascinating to see how, I mean, this is a push that Oregon really started back in the early 2000s. And then right. they kind of fell off a little bit. They went to Texas. They went to other parts of the country. And now after they've developed those other pipelines, Utah, among, chief among them also, that California pipeline is still producing. It's mm-hmm. still bringing the money into these. So it's, Yeah, and especially it's where a lot of these really good, uh, like, five-star skill players are coming from. Yeah. Not as much, like, the kind of, like, the hog mollies up front. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, like we talked about before. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do think that with, you know, a couple players opting out, I don't think we actually covered this on a podcast yet. It's been a couple weeks, but uh, D'Amador Lenore, Thomas Graham, and Penny Sewell all opting out to go into the NFL draft. A move that we were pretty uh, in favor of even before we even knew what coronavirus was. Yeah, I mean, um, it just makes sense, especially yeah. for Sewell. I mean, why put why put your 
possible lifelong earning potential in jeopardy. Right. And then we watched last night the Bengals' offensive line just be atrocious. Think they're excited to draft yeah. him? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. So they got to be excited to see they're not getting, you know, another year of just reps put on his body. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, with especially those two corners leaving going pro, this creates a massive opportunity for Michael Wright. Yeah. He is now being like just completely bolstered. He's now top of the pedestal. He's going to be the number one corner on this team, and he's going to be going up against a lot of talent. There's a lot of good wide receivers in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. this year. There's actually a really good uh, westcoastcollegefootball.com article on best receivers ranking. Uh, no Oregon Ducks on the list, so we might not break it down on here, but there is some USC guys on there that, and some other players that Michael Wright will see a lot of this season. Well, and that's a great transition to talk about the article that we do want to talk about this week, and that is uh, westcoastcfb.com profiling the best facilities in the Pac-12. And I'm just going to give you know three seconds of quiet here for you to possibly guess who the number one was. Yeah, you already know. You already know. It was the Oregon Ducks, of course. Quack, quack. Um, if you'd like to know what the rest of the list was, we encourage you definitely to go give them a click and pull up that article and kind of see. It's nice. They've even kind of put in which when each individual facility was updated, kind of how much money went into that facility and things of that nature. Um, the one that I was glad to see up so high because of just the massive investment that they'd made into the facility, and again, being spending some time in Arizona, spending some time near Tempe, you know, having a little familiarity with that Arizona State program, three hundred million dollars into the stadium in 2019, and then money also into the general facilities around it. So Arizona State comes in at number four on the list, which I don't think a lot of people would have guessed. No, that was kind of a surprise for me. I've never been to Arizona, but uh, it does kind of make sense with the 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 strides that school has made, especially in football over the past like. Uh, basically since like Herm Edwards got there is when yeah, I really started it's been, a, it's been an incline things. yeah and uh, you know a lot of players kind of I don't want to say coming out of nowhere but we don't really cover you know that that's part of what's happening there's so. a lot of talented football players in the state of Arizona yeah and if those if Arizona State can start keeping some of those kids home they can really start to develop a program and we've talked about I mean Ty Thompson is right, in their backyard yeah. Christian Kirk who's you know playing now for the Arizona Cardinals he escaped to go to Texas A&M you know there's a lot of talent that's come out of that area so the more that they can keep home and the more shiny facilities that they can have the better, you yeah. know what I mean? And I think the, the one surprise that I saw in there uh, was Oregon State coming in at number seven, I believe. Yeah. Right yeah, let in me, the middle uh, of the pack there. Me, I was expecting yeah, it seven. to be a little bit lower. Um, again, I haven't really seen – I. I haven't really seen many updates in Corvallis over the last few years. But... Well, so they're about to do a $140 million renovation on the stadium here in the next couple of years. Okay. In 2017, yeah, in 2017, they put $42 million into their locker room and things like that. So okay, they've definitely so they made some investments. Some yeah, they, okay. they've, they've, they've made an effort. Because the job. last time I was at research, I was like, what? And then I saw it at 7, I was like, uh, I think... <laughs> there might be something be like wrong 11. here. Yeah, there may be something <laughs> wrong here. And this is a good list because it's not just the, the stadium itself but the overall facility and that's why you saw Oregon as a slam dunk number one Mm -hmm. and yeah I mean just some of the stories that we were kind of talking about before we started recording just some of the stories we've heard about the facilities at Oregon and I mean even in my experience just doing like the small media things just going into those media rooms and stuff it's like whoa like they put some money into they thought of everything. The popping circumstance is real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the pop, popping circumstance is real. And I mean, you love having the Marcus Mariota Sports Performance Center. You know, oh, he, yeah. he obviously hasn't quite performed at the NFL level like we would have thought he may have. And he still has a chance. But 
having that name on something is always good. I saw he's doing a uh, uh, collaboration with Sweet Cheeks Wine. He has his own wine coming out. I think it's called like Greatness or something. Of course like he does. Of course he does. Uh, yeah, it's like a Pinot Noir. So I was like, $42. I might grab a bottle. I'm just to sure. have. Just to yeah. have on the shelf. That's the yeah. thing is like, I'm going to want to open it and then I'm going to be like, why did I buy it? Because you know <laughs> it's like, it should just sit on my shelf. It's one of those things. Yeah, you don't, yeah, those products, they've got a lot of endorsements. Speaking of those products, we'll go ahead and jump right into a segment that we're going to try to do every week. We'll see how things kind of go forward here, but just doing a little bit of a spotlight on one offensive product in the NFL and one defensive product. So, Shane, let us know who our offensive player of the week for the products is. This yeah, week. the offense is a little bit harder than doing the defense with these guys. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll, I'll, I can see it picking up here. This is just week one. You know, the NFL is kind of shaking off the cobwebs and uh this player came out and looked i mean just like the seasoned veteran that he has been for the last few years in detroit with uh mr tyrell crosby but i love a lineman getting love too mm-hmm. i love it shane uh he played 100 percent of the snaps uh they rushed the ball uh for 138 yards using their plethora of running backs um, i wish carry on johnson would have got more carries but that's just for my own fantasy all day baby all day. Yeah, Adrian Peterson just came back. DeAndre Swift needs to make that catch. Yeah, that's tough. That's I rough. feel so bad for him. That's yeah. his first NFL game. Yeah. And if you, if you are listening to this and you didn't watch, the Lions had a nice little lead. The Bears came storming back. Mitch Trubisky turned into Joe Montana for about 12 minutes. And then uh, Matt Stafford had himself a nice opportunity. Good time in the pocket, hence why Tyrell Crosby is our player of the week yes. here. And had... Rookie running back, first NFL game, just wide open, right by the front left pylon. And uh, you could tell he just he thought about it the whole way. Well, he took his head off of it. You can mm-hmm. literally see his head move. But again, that defense, excuse me, that Detroit offensive line was incredible. Yeah. I mean, when you see Adrian Peterson, all 46 years old of him, out there running and galloping and you know running as upright as he does and able to find the lanes that he did, that line was dominant. And not only the running game, they only allowed one sack in that game yes. as well. And Matt Stafford holds on to the ball forever. Yes, so he does. Yes, one he does. sack is, is an accomplishment. They lost 23-27 to 27 at home against Chicago, but it was not the offensive line's fault. Now, over on the defensive side of the ball, this was a Sunday night game. We had Mr. Troy Hill for my Los Angeles Rams. Had Homer. Had a nice day. Homer. Uh, he had five solo tackles and zero passes thrown his way. Uh, Rams held Dallas to 244 passing yards in their 20 to 17 win. Dak Prescott really never got the opportunity to throw the ball downfield too much. There was the one play that was kind of the game changer, but that was Jalen Ramsey selling it. it. Was really the biggest downfield throw of the game. Oh, and that was a PI. I mean, let's not let's not get it twisted. That was definitely an it, offensive it, PI. It was. Yeah. I don't think it would have been called a Jalen Ramsey not done the Marcus <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. The just Steve put, Nash flop. Full Kyle Lowry. Yeah. But and that is something that we saw around the NFL in Week One with AJ Green. More of those push-offs being mm-hmm. called. I think it is going to be an emphasis. And is it just because Gronk's back in the league? I think that might be why it is. I really <laughs> think that might be why like, it is. Like the Gronk rule. Just a slap in the Gronk face. Uh-huh. Yeah, Gronk angry. Gronk angry. Um, mm-hmm. So we are going to now take a quick break, and we will be back with some basketball conversation and some more general shenanigans. Welcome back to the condo here. We are with part two of the 51st episode of the Flock Pod. We're going to jump right into some WNBA talk because we're in the playoffs, Shane. Playoffs! 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 
So my Dallas Wings failed to make the playoffs this year, coming in at eight and fourteen, just missed the cut, ninth in the league. But it doesn't take away from Satu Sable having a potential rookie of the year type season. She was playing just over twenty eight minutes a game, just under fourteen points, shooting thirty six point eight percent from the field. That was affected a little bit by her nineteen point eight percent from three point land which it will improve. It's something that we talked about and something that you could kind of tell they really wanted her to get those shots up and to kind of like get that mental roadblock out of the way. Like, go ahead and have your bad season or whatever. And like we also discussed before her just being a gym rat. It's yes. Just going to She's going to get better. Yeah. Now, if you tie in her free throw shooting, which was pretty good this season, she comes out to a 50.5 true shooting percentage, which is, it's decent. That's mm-hmm. especially for a rookie that's asked to take a lot of shots. Um, just under eight rebounds per game. She had 23.9 usage percentage, which is pretty high. That was second on the team to Erika Agumbawale. Well done on the name. Um, it's always a challenge. Two and a half assists, just under one steal, and just under a block. Her assist to turnover ratio is plus 1.14, which is pretty good. And also 19.7% of her team's defensive rebounds. So really hitting the glass hard. Well, and she did get one vote for Rookie of the Year. Uh, Kennedy mm-hmm. Carter uh, finished second there with two votes, it looks like. But Crystal Dangerfield with 44 votes. I mean, she was dominant. And she, she proved was. that the other night when the Lynx beat the Mercury. Mm-hmm. That was a crazy game. So I think that, again, she had a great year, but she just wasn't given quite the shine you know that some of these other athletes were and i think that i mean dangerfield really did earn it well dangerfield and kennedy carter are both such like dynamic scorers and they're so eye-catching where satsu sable's game is a little bit more for the basketball Mm -hmm. nerds and if i if i remember correctly we could go back to the old uh wmba draft podcast but i'm pretty sure we were very high on all three of those players yes we were yes we were yes we were were. saying that they all slid further in the draft way further than we thought of yeah Yeah. exactly and i think dangerfield is now the lowest drafted player to ever win rookie of the year in the Mm -hmm. wmba because we were kind of sitting there like when is dangerfield gonna go and then we started questioning her size Mm -hmm. and all these other things Mm -hmm. we started kind of trying to think like gms like okay why is this happening and then she plays and we're like oh no 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 okay yes real hooper we feel Uh, better we feel better bucket get her Um, well in 2018 uh, rookie of the year winner Asia Wilson was just named MVP mm -hmm. and so there's definitely a precedent to be set that a lot of these players and this is the I never didn't realize this that the Lynx uh, had the rookie of the year last year also in Nafisa Collier Mm. Collier Collier I don't know yeah, that's tough. yeah that's tough. I need to watch more Lynx games. <laughs> that's one team that I probably saw the least of this year. I again, and I copped to this early. I was so excited for the mother of Ducklings when she mm-hmm. got hurt. I, I honestly really checked out of watching WMEA games. I still followed a bunch on Twitter, you know, as always trying to stay involved and it's still like retweeting stuff and liking it, you know, reading as much as I could, but it just just hurt Shane. It, was, it, it hurt you're, me. You're definitely not alone, alone there. I saw yep. a lot of like WNBA Twitter kind of get the momentum slowed when yep. that happened. I mean, it was just such a fun story. It was all working out so well. I did just see before I came down here, we got to mention this, that Nike is reloaded on Sabrina jerseys. Love it. I'm going to have to so, get one yeah. then. Definitely I have to get one. didn't see any of like the, the greenish blue, mm-hmm. uh, like minty color. Yeah. And they do have the black one with the minty accents which the liberty jerseys are still pretty cool so mm-hmm. either, either one of those are going to be a good get um i do want to say um wmba because i know you're listening <laughs> um we need that wobble coverage i'm sorry but yeah. i need especially now that diana tarasi got knocked out last night and stank i another official and got another technical foul uh, i need i need that wobble coverage 
She had like twelve point. She was like a near triple double at halftime. Oh, she was. She's a stud. Yeah. I mean, she's an absolute stud. Now up north, over in Chicago, the Sky went twelve and ten, earning them the sixth spot uh, going into the WNBA playoffs. However, they were knocked out in the single elimination round against. Did you, oh, we just talked. About I was this. just talking Seattle. about it. Let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. Um, Keep talking. Vamp for me a little bit. So, but Ruthie had Connecticut. Herself, they got uh, beat by Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're still alive. She had herself a nice season, and it was very different. We kind of talked about this before too. A very different progression than Satsu had in Dallas, but being on a team that was already solidified, or you know, and already what a lot of people thought was going to be a title contending team, but did you know, kind of underachieve, hit a little, couple speed bumps. Ruthie ended the season averaging about 14 and a half minutes, just under six points. In true Ruthie fashion, 68.2 field goal percentage in her rookie year as I a mean, professional. I'm sorry, Ruthie, but we're going to need to see that in the 70s. It's just, we're <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get through it, but that's incredible. Now, she did not attempt a single three-pointer, which is definitely playing within her game. You've got to love that, Ruthie. Well done. Bringing her true shooting percentage to 69.2, which is one of the highest I saw for yes. any player this season. Yes. Uh, 3.9 rebounds, a little bit low, but 21% of her team's defensive rebounds. Yes. So, you know, playing in the games, a lot of up and up and down games, uh, high tempo. Yep. So you're seeing a lot more made shots and just weirder rebounds. Mm-hmm. Your bigs aren't necessarily responsible for as many rebounds. No, we are big Ruthie fans in this household. We have some Ruthie attire here in the condo. Need to definitely get some other of Duckling's attire because mm-hmm. you're going to be the Satu guy. We've already yeah, we've already established yeah, already that. Yeah, established. absolutely. Uh, also with Ruby, like none of these things are super surprising. 42, 14.2 usage percentage, uh, under half an assist per game, about half a steal, half a block. But a 68.2 efficiency percentage. Well, and that assist number is the number that we've talked about that she's going to need to improve upon. That short roll, off the pick and roll, catching at the elbow, making that next play, and then given going off of that or creating plays for her teammates Mm. from that position is where she's going to really need to get better. And with Chicago, they have a lot of versatile players, so it's kind of... uh, The the team as a whole is kind of looking for more of an identity. So things like their own bread and butter where these players need to be because it's nice having that versatility to be able to move those pieces around but then when people don't know their exact role especially with ruthie is at her peak when she is in a role she can work within her parameters in the offense do her thing and then kind of let i mean that's what we saw at oregon she played that that role perfectly mm-hmm. um i do want to well would you have anything else in the WNBA? Uh, just the sky and the, her loss to Connecticut. Uh, Ruthie did get the start. Played 18 minutes, four points, 50 percent from the field. No rebounds, four assists, and love two, that. Two steals, two blocks. If she can average more than three assists a game, I think she'll see a lot more playing time. I and think then, that'll really begin to help her. Yeah, very true. And I think in a, like that stat line shows me that she was asked to do something a little bit different than she had been doing. When you see her regular season numbers, and then in that one playoff game, especially the no rebounds, four assists, two blocks, two steals. Yep. It's like, okay, Ruthie, we want you to go out and be a little bit of an energy player and mm-hmm. go out there and kind of like, you know, we're going to start you, you're going to play under 20, go out there and, you know, really yep. get, you know, the, the wheels turning for yep. this team. Be an energy player for mm-hmm. us. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the WNBA draft to see how they begin to build that roster. And a player that we may see in that WNBA draft in a couple years, just want to talk about this. This was the Papa Duck contribution for this week. He read a really interesting article on Duck Territory about Pow Pow. Um, mm-hmm. who is on campus now working with the University of Oregon women's basketball coaching staff. And she received maybe the best compliment a player could get where they compared her work ethic to none other 
than the mother of ducklings herself. Wow. So you all know how high I was on Pow Pow before she mm-hmm. even got on campus. And now that she's receiving comparisons, again, it's her work ethic, not necessarily their play on the court. But I think that Pow Pow may be that next great Oregon guard that we see and one of those players that we see this community really get behind. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, again, like the, I'd use that Sabrina comparison – you know, again, work ethic, work ethic, you know, that she's a pure gym rat. She's like a Dylan Brooks. Like we're going to have to take her key card away. We're not Mm going to give her any more shoes. You know, we're going to have to really like put a spy on her all the time to keep her out of the gym. Because they have a very, very uh, different playing style, body type, the whole kind of nine. And there's a, you know, several players who are in this incoming class that are going to be really fun to watch. And I think uh, Pow Pow is, you know, going to have some guards in front of her that are also going to really, she may not even start. You know, that's going to be the really interesting thing, and she's probably going to be coming off the bench yeah, for those first few games. So. I mean, I'd want to, I want to see Taylor Chavez starting. Mm-hmm. I really liked everything that she was able to do with her limited role. Um, Holly Winterburn's gone. They've got uh, Maddie Schur. Maddie they've got Sydney Parrish. Yeah. I mean, they've got a ton of guards, and we're, we're missing somebody. Who are we forgetting? Yeah, who's, there's a returning guard from last um, year. Because Moore's gone. i got to pull Holly up the roster. How am I forgetting this? And... Uh, Oh, darn it. I had it. I need to learn how to Google better. Jamie, if you ever teach classes, <laughs> I would definitely take them. But yeah, I mean, there's. It, I'm very curious, too, like you said. with Jazz the, Shelley. Oh, Jazz Shelley. I was like, Shelley. we're forgetting somebody so obvious, uh-huh. and I can't think of it. Jazz Shelley's awesome. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how um, how Graves uses this, uh, this incoming class. Like, you know, what the minute rotation looks like what red shirt opportunities are possible if he's going to try mm-hmm. and keep this quote unquote fab five together by not red shirting any of them. Um, I'm, I'm really curious. I, I don't know. We, we did Oregon lost a ton of scoring. Well, they week. just, they lost a ton of everything, Yeah, you know? And so it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to rebuild, but I'm incredibly excited. Like you're mentioning to see that backcourt combo of Shelly and Chavez. Cause again, they're probably going to be the starters unless Mikasell can get in there and beat them out too, because yeah, there's now I a, there's a war chest. I mean, yeah. Kelly Graves literally has a war chest of players that he can throw out there. Not to mention the younger Sabali. You know, and right. to see what she can do with Myra the wing Sully. position. Yeah, and so this is going to be such a fun team to watch. Yeah, and then the player, like, I mean, like Sydney Parrish, like you mentioned in the guard position, I think she's also almost going to be groomed more to be kind of like a wing scorer, uh, mm-hmm. similar to like that kind of Aaron Bully role, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you're you're basically like looking for your spots on any port, mm-hmm. part of the court. Also, Aaron Bully, um, you know. If I had to guess, if I had to project Oregon's starting five, if they had a game tomorrow, Mm-hmm. I would probably guess that they're going to start Mikasell, Shelly, oh man, and Chavez. I think they're going to start all three guards. Okay. I think they start Sedona Prince in the middle. Yep. And then that that three four spot. I mean, that could be one of the freshmen if they really show out. That could be Sabali. if you know she looks healthy and right. ready to go, or that could be Giomi if they want to go big. They want to have both her and Prince on the floor at the same time. I just don't know what they're going to decide. You know, it's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, Sable, like a lot of people, including Satu, said that her younger sister is better than herself. It's just been injuries have just gotten in the way. She would be the perfect four, you know. And then if you have Sedona starting, then Sable, and then those three guards, and then you can bring Giomi in off the bench. She kind of stays in the role that she was in before that she seemed to get really, really comfortable in by the end of the season Mm -hmm. last year. 
Well, we yeah. didn't get an end of the season, but when play stopped. I'd almost like to see Giomi coming off the bench there just to kind of relieve That's uh, what I'm saying. Prince in that in that role and just keep make sure you're keeping you know a six five or above player on the floor. Yeah. And Sabli is big too. Like I waited on her once at Alabama. She's taller than me. No, she's yeah, they're she's six five. Yeah. I mean Prince is the tallest player on the roster, it looks like it's six seven. But then they also have the freshman Dugalich. Oh yeah, yeah. Six uh, four forward, Kylie Watson's another six foot four forward. See, Kylie Watson, I see more playing in that guard role. She's got the handle, and she kind of plays like a big guard. Ariel Wilson could be that other player too, yeah. sneaking in there at that six foot six guard or forward position. Or Graves could just say we're going to put four gra- four guards around Prince. Yeah, and kind of go, I mean, with a lot of these players, they're so versatile outside of like Pow Pow and like maybe, you know, Jazz Shelley. Oh, what am I talking about? It's going to be Bully. Yeah. What am I saying? It's yeah, going to be Bully at the say, four. Yeah, yeah sorry. I'm, yeah, it's going to be Bully. So it's going to be Prince, Bully, and then the three guards. And then I'm really excited to see Bully's kind of role grow a little bit. <laughs> she'll finally be asked to do a little bit more. Sometimes, you know, just podcast brain. Like, it's yeah, it's going to be Prince, Bully, and then I'm guessing Mikasel, Shelly, and Chavez. Boy, yeah. that's a good starting maybe, five. Yeah. The only thing I could see maybe being different is I would say Jazz Shelley coming off the bench just so you have that hot hand off the, maybe. Off the bench. And then maybe having one of like the... The other bigger Sydney forwards Parrish, get in yeah. there. Yeah, maybe a maybe a Sobley or a Parish or somebody there, else. Depending yeah. on you know what their development looks like. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, but boy, it's fun to talk about. Oh, I, can't, I love it. I can't wait for women's basketball to come back. And I'm obviously excited for Oregon men's basketball to come back also. And they just got a big commitment, a very long, very tall commitment mm-hmm. um, from an Oregon five-star basketball player, which we don't get the chance to say very often. No, no. And I mean, like, when was the last time that there was even a five-star coming out of Oregon? Singler. Is it single? Yeah, and I think that he was Singular the last, love? and then Love was before that. But no, 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 no. Uh, Kamaka Hopper, uh, the kid that the came Washington here from he came here Garden? from Alaska, and he went to Texas. Um, he played in Jefferson for a year. Uh, I can't remember his name now. Kamaka Hop, something like those. I can't remember exactly what it was. But he came from Alaska, played here for a year. He was a five star kid. Oregon never really had a chance on him though. Right, because I mean, like there was Jeremy Grant. You gotta look that name up now. It's gonna bother Uh, me. But Oregon didn't even. I don't even think they sent him an offer sheet. Uh, Also, Terrence Ross. They didn't go after Kamaka Hepa. That's right. I was close. I was very, very close. But yeah, he's been a bench player for Texas for the last couple of years. And then yeah, so in this, you know, like it seems like Nate Biddle was kind of going after. He visited UCLA, Arizona, and Gonzaga, which are kind of like the who's who of the West Coast basketball schools. Uh, but this is it's big just to see Oregon in that conversation and then to land that player. I mean, like we were just saying, you know, in-state players never stay. Well, and from everything that I'd heard, from all the little birdies that I'd talked to or read on Twitter and things of that nature, it came down to Oregon and Gonzaga. That makes sense. And I think he's a kid, again, it, Gonzaga would make a lot of sense for him. I mean, they've put he guys in the pros. Seems like a he's, he's Zach Collins, kind of yeah. in a similar way, just a little bit thinner. Um, but I have a really important, the most important question I have to ask you about Nathan Bittleshane. Better nickname. I think you have this written down. Nate Dog or The Alligator? Because those are the two nicknames that I've seen for him. Which is the better nickname for Nathan Biddle? Nate uh, Dog or The Alligator? I feel like Nate Dog's kind of generic. Yeah. But he's not, I mean, the alligator? That's just kind of strange. I like the alligator because of the strangeness. All right. Why is it the alligator? I I mean, long and just kind of weird. I don't know. He has kind of a weird style on the basketball floor. He's not necessarily your, 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, doesn't play a rudimentary game. You know, right. he's, yeah, he's very yeah. different. You know, this out is, there. This is basketball outside the box. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, oh, I guess Nate, Nate Dog to me sounds like something that like like a soccer dad would call his kid named Nate. You know, <laughs> Nate Dog. Uh, so I, I would say hard pass on that one. I'm guessing Nate Dogg is the one that he likes more because in a couple of the interviews that I saw with him, that was the one they used. Well, yeah, if it's they didn't if use it's the alligator. Alligator and Nate Dogg, I'm sure that's what he'd rather. He's a 17 year old. I think we're going with alligator here on the flock. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love I okay. love alligator. Um, so I'll I'll kind of throw it to you first. I want to hear your thoughts on him. I have some I have a pretty strong opinion on him, but let me let me hear your breakdown of Nathan Biddle, seven foot center from uh, technically from Crater High School here in Eugene and Central or from Central point excuse me not in eugene but he's going to play at a prep school here for his final year okay uh, i didn't hear about that yeah. you know what's prep school well i've actually heard contradicting stories i've heard one that he's going to go to prep school two i've heard he's going to try to do the dylan brooks route and just enroll in oregon early and try to graduate high school early uh, i don't know what, what is more are. true but he, he committed to this prep school a couple months ago uh coach schmerbach who does a great job down there at crater um, incredible program that he's been able to build down there. Um, really supported the move just because they weren't sure what was happening with Oregon high school sports. So he's playing for a school, I believe in California, but I don't remember the name of it. It might be mm-hmm. prolific prep, but let me see. Um, but anyways, while he's looking that up, so like you mentioned, he's listed at 6'11", 175. So he is skinny. That's dripping wet with water. Yeah, I guarantee. I did see on uh, Rivals, he's listed at 200, but I was like, then I watched his YouTube stuff and I was like, no, he's not. Prolific Prep is where he committed Prolific to go prep. play his senior year. Yeah, played for West Coast Elite, which is a really prominent AA program here in Oregon. Cool. Um, so what I like from him, he's a great finisher in traffic. Uh, he has a, gr- um, a really good handle when attacking the rim, so he plays from the outside in a lot. Quick release on his outside shot. He has range. He will stretch it out to the three. He's spe- definitely going to space the floor in college. Um, he has good good footwork on his post defense. Uh, I think with his size, that was the kind of thing that I was worried about the most was if he was going to be able to defend on the block more than scoring on the block. His exterior passing is really good. He finds matchups to exploit, and he finishes through contact. You see a lot of and ones for him, um, especially not having a ton of upper body strength, but he uses his length really well. The things I didn't like, he has cement feet on help side defense. Uh, we talked about that before. He's just he's not going to come like erase shots coming from the outside uh not a very tenacious rebounder and i'd say he this was probably like my biggest i wouldn't want to say like criticism but just like analysis is that he plays more like a six foot eleven guard than he does like a six foot eleven basketball player that has guard skills like it's very guard oriented and this is something that i kind of was arguing with people on twitter about those that that being said, I don't think his size is an issue. We'll see. I mean, he's got to put a little meat on. I he's think he's going to. Yeah, he's I'm, seventeen. I understand. I understand. Sorry, I just this is I'm, <laughs> I'm taking out my Twitter arguments on these. This guy's like, you name somebody to blow. I'm like, are you kidding? There's tall, skinny basketball yeah. players all over the NBA right now. Yeah. Oh, uh, Kevin Durant. Remember how much everybody freaked out when he couldn't bench press 145 oh, pounds? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guess how much that has to do with shooting a basketball? Nothing. No. <laughs> wow, I like seeing Shane all fired up like this. is nice. Um, now, with all of that said, he definitely plays, like you mentioned, more like a wing. And so mm. that's where I found it fascinating that he was actually listed as a center. Also, to 
his weak side defense is something to be left desired. It's very Carmelo Anthony in a Blazers uniform like. Yeah, he definitely struggles a little bit. Now, with all of that said, it's not as if he hasn't played against some high-level talent in some of these showcase games. He's gone to some of these big camps. I heard really, really good things about him down at the facility in Arizona a couple weeks ago when he went down there. He really, really showed out. But I have a unique perspective on this. So okay. I'm, I, I'm excited to hear it. So I, okay, I was a basketball coach here in Oregon. Coached, coached 5A basketball for a couple years. Yes, I unceremoniously was fired after going 0-24. I'll just do my M&M version of just get that out there right now. Yes. Aaron, oh uh, yeah, absolutely. But that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. But this is a seven foot kid who has all the skills that did not necessarily dominate the state of Oregon like I would have liked to seen him do. Did he have some great games? Absolutely. Did he play against some good talent here at that 5A level? Absolutely. I mean, there were some really good teams. I mean, Churchill, Thurston just here locally are great. Silverton's really, really good. That 5A division has gotten better over the last couple of years. But he did not dominate like a seven-footer should. Now, Crater didn't have necessarily a ton of talent around him or a lot of pieces to elevate him, but I mentioned Coach Schmerbach earlier who was going to constantly put him in the best position to succeed. So it does worry me a little bit that he wasn't putting up like 30, 20, 10 stat lines every single night because that's what you want to see from a kid that's a five-star who comes in with that. Just having that physical – no one in Oregon has more than two seven-footers on their roster if they even have one kid over six-foot-eight. Right. It's very, very un... It's just not as common here in Oregon as you might think right. it is. Right. Not a lot of great athletes coming out of the city. Now, there, there there, was a lot of... I mean, that Thurston team that he battled with again, and he didn't get a chance to really display it last year because the state championship was canceled. You know, but he played against some high-quality talent against... Again, but not guys that are going out there and going to be playing at a lot of D1 schools. Just a lot of scrappy Oregon kids. And so I'm really, really curious to see how this Oregon coaching staff can develop his mindset and his body. I think he has the skills. He's a good right. passer for seven feet. Like you mentioned, his shot needs a little bit of work. Um, for it's, a, got, it's got things, though. For a seven-footer, he's got good feet. He's got good balance. I think that's why he's able to finish through contact so well. He's also just really long. Yeah. I mean, even for a seven-footer, he can almost scratch his kneecaps. Right. So I he's got know. a little Mobamba about him in that way. Yeah, his wingspan wasn't listed on anything that I saw. But yeah. It's got to be like Super seven, long. Seven, like um, so I compare him, and this is the other thing that, I, that worries me a little bit, is just his motor. I compare him to a little bit of a not quite – the the height of I mean Bull Bull was seven two, mm-hmm. so I mean Biddle's seven feet on a good day probably six eleven. Right. But he, I compare him to that kind of player. Gets lost on defense a little bit. Shoots the ball pretty well on offense. Does he have a Michael Porter Jr. kind of ceiling? Absolutely. But I saw Michael Porter Jr. dominate a Sierra Canyon team that had Marvin Bagley and Remy Martin on it, and that kid had a broken back at the time. Right. And I just never saw that necessarily from Biddle. Now, do you think that there could be kind of some of the Kevin Love uh, aspect to his actual just high school game where, you know, Kevin Love didn't really take his Lake Oswego games as serious as he did, like, his ABCD camps and his A. Very know? true. And if it were anybody other than Coach Schmerbach down at Crater, I would agree with you. But, I mean, that Crater program's legit. And they've mm-hmm. really worked hard to, to legitimize that athletic department. And the, the city, the Central Point community really cares about athletics down there. So I find it hard to believe that he'd just be kind of mailing it in, per se. Right. But... Because love just, for sure did. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, just look at his body when yeah. he was high school. I just I just think he hated being in Oregon. Yeah, um, that's, that's true. I just don't know if he's got that, like, 
and again, I guess I, I go after a lot of kids for this, but I just don't know if he's got that killer instinct, that right. rip your heart out, take a bite of it, and put it back in your chest kind of instinct. There was one there was one play I saw where, and it was all like the, the highlights they had clipped together from one game, where he was having a good game, and it was, it was going along, it was a tight game, uh, and he had one dunk that really shifted the momentum of the game, where he had a two-footer from right outside the key, two-handed it and you know kind of threw himself off yeah, the rim. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. And that kind of shifted to me. It was the first kind of like, "Oh, oh my. Oh my. Moment. What you, yes. What do we have here?" Mm-hmm. But the it's interesting the player that just from watching, you know, random highlights put together, the player that he kind of reminded me of is a current Oregon player that we didn't see play at all last year. Oh, I know you're going to say. And it's going to be yeah, Lock Warrer, yep. who yep. like they have like these very unique skill sets and these very unique bodies. Mm-hmm. And whether or not I mean, Luck War was redshirted last year, but it didn't seem like he would have really fit into that team regardless if he yeah. like if they intended him to or not. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a little curious to see how he also will fit in with a team that has Infali Dante and some other seven footers and some other bigs. So he will get kind of pushed maybe more to the three. The fact that Oregon could put out like almost the lineup of all seven footers right now is kind of scary. Yeah, it's pretty cool. (laughs) And it's something cool that Dana Altman has kind of just been going after these like, um, you don't really want to call like a a kid like this. He's a five star. You don't really want to call him a project, but like these early development, like he can shape them into these very, uh, specific basketball players, unique I say. Yeah. He, they, he likes unique skill sets and i think you've seen that going all the way back to like bringing in arslan kazemi mm-hmm. you know just guys that are a little bit on the out i mean yeah i mean maybe he's got some down what can i do but but then he takes them and elevates them to the next level and that's right. why i am excited about this biddle commitment because i believe in this oregon coaching staff i believe in their development program mike menenga is an incredible coach i mean obviously he's known for his recruiting abilities but he's great as a get get in the gym and work on your skill set also so i'm excited to see what they can do um it's obviously good to see oregon in the news it's good to see oregon getting these you know high level commitments but these kids have really got to pay off to then get more of these high level commitments to keep coming in right especially not having all the good northwest talent go to gonzaga is is a pretty big it's a good thing yeah Yeah. absolutely and shout out you know nba 2k get oregon on your game um (laughs) speaking of the nba and some ducks still playing in the nba um bull ball's getting a little bit of run you know this is a guy that we mentioned before he's getting a little bit of run for the the just the uplift your heart Denver Nuggets feel good Nuggets and I hate saying that because I really hated the Nuggets last year as a Blazers fan Uh but it's really been fun to watch well and I I mean I love Jokic's game because he plays basketball like a water polo player he's a lot of one-armed stuff Uh his passing ability is incredible he plays like he's the whole set and he's just okay let me get the ball all right let me find nobody's available nobody's moving okay let me go to work for myself and create my own shot it's been fun to watch and I think that this I don't want to say this transcendent moment for the Nuggets beating the the Clippers in the way that they did, but this Nuggets team, I mean, they've got four or five guys under the age of 25 that are incredibly talented, and this team is frightening to me. Well, in that that game seven against the Clippers, too, they kind of went from this team that hangs around and wins close games at the end to they put their foot on their throat yeah. and they just took the clippers out of that game well i think they paul Mil- paul Millsap woke up a little bit which yeah, helps which nice. you know he, he left his weekend at bernie's vacation and kind of came <laughs> came back to, to earth it's like is if you told like somebody who's never really watched basketball before and you're like that guy used to be an all-star in this league they would 
think you were lying 100%. Well, the game changed so much in his time. You know, he mm. and Al Horford just kind of got aged out in the way that they play the game. But it's one of those interesting things where, and I don't remember if we talked about this on a podcast or not, but the younger teams, the teams that are better conditioned, the teams that seem to actually enjoy playing basketball with each other are the ones that are producing better and, you know, are playing better basketball. What a concept. Weird. Conditioning and chemistry actually matter. <laughs> you know, like, oh, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, now that Bull Bull has made it this far, uh, I mean, Chris Boucher technically played for the Raptors last year, but not really. I mean, this is the furthest that we've seen uh, an NBA pro duck make it in the playoffs with an actual role on the team. Yeah, and he's like the eighth or ninth man. I right. mean, Boucher kind of got cut off on his minutes in that Celtics series. I don't know if he played any in games five through seven. I know he got a little bit of run in those earlier games. Yeah, he got some garbage time in there. Yeah, so. but I mean, Boucher's still a guy that's talked about in a lot of NBA circles as somebody that still has you know a ceiling to hit. Yeah, and I think Bull Bull is just giving an example of these again a unicorn type of player, seven foot two, shoots the ball well from the outside. The Nuggets just have so many different puzzle pieces. They can build a lot of different puzzles. Mm -hmm. But I could see this series with the Lakers getting weird, and I could also see Bol Bol getting a little bit of run. Whether or not that's in, you know, tight situations at the end of the game, probably not. No. But no. It, it, it could get weird. I mean, the, you could see late uh, him going out there and, you know, dueling with JaVale McGee or somebody like that. I could see him being like a third quarter, six to seven minutes. Let's see how he plays. And if he mm -hmm. plays well, or maybe even the second quarter, if he plays well, we'll get him a little bit of run out there just because he's a matchup nightmare. You know, and that's what, I mean, we'll get to our kind of predictions here in a second, but that's where I think that the Nuggets in this matchup with the Lakers are really fascinating, just how each coach decides to match up. Yeah. Because each coach has like small ball lineups, big ball lineups that they can put out there. And I just, I want to see Dwight Howard try to guard Jokic. That's going to be hilarious. Yeah, and I'm just hoping that Jokic can stay out of foul trouble with the Lakers and just the way that they play with their ultra-physical style and then nobody's allowed to touch them. They throw <laughs> massive hissy fits. But, I mean, that is who they are, and it, it is working. It, but any, any, all these Laker fans are like, oh, that's not happening. I'm like, okay, sure. I, I wish you all could see Shane's face as he was like the best like just deadpan delivery. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, so, I mean, it, that, that is another situation where Bull Bull could get some run and some, some foul trouble because Anthony Davis is one to draw them as well as when LeBron decides that he wants to barrel his way down the key. When I th this series all comes down to whether the Lakers decide to play small ball or not. Mm -hmm. I think if the Lakers go small, it's going to give the Nuggets a lot, of, a lot of problems. If the Nuggets have the chance to have minutes against JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, I, I think the Nuggets could win this series. I think there there definitely is a way. Uh, the resurgence of Rondo <clears throat> is where I think that the Lakers have kind of like that puts them a little bit above. Now you know I have a Rajon Rondo jersey hanging yeah, right over there, we and so this hurts me to say a little bit, but he cannot guard Jamal Murray. Well, I'm not talking about that, but we've seen him. But who's going to guard lose. Jamal Murray? Doesn't really matter. I think it definitely does matter. He scored 50 points and lost in this year's playoffs. But it was the guard play of the... I mean, it was the guard play enabled by the setup of Jokic that beat the Clippers. Sure. So who do the Lakers have to chase Jamal Murray around? I don't think it matters because they have LeBron James. I mean, I think that you, so are we, you, you are don't we? really have to fight fire with fire in this situation. Okay. Because right. you can just... LeBron, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna shoot. 30 free throws. He's gonna do a ton of this. 
Yeah, the pandering, the hands up. Yeah, okay, okay. And for like, all the, we just, need a video podcast. Yeah, it, it, it's just, it's going to dominate so much of, like, if if this series was able to play be played, like, a, just an actual basketball series, the way that I envision basketball, and, like, in my mind, it's this beautiful game where there are fouls called, but not everything's a foul, and, you know, back and forth. I think the Nuggets definitely could make a run at it. I think LeBron in year 45 or whatever, who is so desperate to win the championship that he was not able, he wouldn't let the league even slow down a little bit for social justice. It's true. He was just like, no, it's true. This I already counted this ring, you know. So I think it's just going to be too much of that for the Nuggets to handle. True. All right, well I'm going to put it down on the record. I think the Nuggets are going to win this series. I think they're going to win it in six games. Ooh. And I think Jokic is going to now have to be on our pantheon of top five players in the NBA after this series. I so desperately hope you're right. (laughs) I think that's maybe where it's coming from, too, is just my pure heart. Like, I don't want anybody listening to this to be like, oh, Shane's obviously turning into a Laker homer. But I don't think you would take what I just said as that. But I think Lakers in five. Okay. All right. I I like it. I think they lose tonight because... What I've kind of seen from the Lakers this year, too, is they come out and they're like, all right, we're just going to do our thing. And they kind of let this team play. And we'll try and beat you, you know, on our basketball. And then we're going to figure out, all right, this is what you guys do. Here's our thing. And it all kind of depends on, like, how much they play Dwight Howard, how much they play JaVale McGee, what position LeBron's in. And I think what you're saying is really important is that the Nuggets have been doing this all with kind of smoke and mirrors on defense. And Mm -hmm. so can the Nuggets actually defend what the Lakers are doing? And that's why I'd be really concerned if they came out tonight in game one and just said, hey, Dwight Howard, hey, JaVale McGee, just take the night off. And if they play small ball all night, I think the Lakers will win, honestly. But I don't think, excuse me, I don't think Vogel's going to do that. I think he's going to try to stick to his guns, play his big guys. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the Nuggets decide to defend LeBron James. It's probably going to be Paul Millsap to start out, and that's going to end very, very badly for Paul Millsap. And then then they'll put Grant on him for a little while. Mm. We'll see how that goes. Gary Harris will probably get a shot Mm. at him. I, I want to see Michael Porter Jr. guarding LeBron James just for the pure comedic fun that would have, but I don't know who they're going to have to guard him. I think you, you will see it just because I think they're every what time else can Michael they Porter do? Jr. comes on the floor, they're going to try and put him in pick and roll and match yeah. them together, and then LeBron's just going to rack him. Yeah. I mean, he just doesn't have the foot speed. I think these are some games we could see in like the 120 and 130s. I think these could be some really, really high-scoring games because if I'm the Lakers also, I think the way that, that you beat Jokic, you just run him. Yeah. And that's why I think if you go smaller, I think we could even see some lineups with LeBron at the five if the Lakers are smart. Give when those Anthony Davis minutes or when he's getting his rest, just go super duper small and just run. Just run, 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 run and make this Nuggets team and Jokic especially get up and down the floor. Because that's yeah. where you've seen the Lakers be their best is in transition and full court offense. And it's just going to, I mean, it's. It's one of those, like, oh, it's a make-or-miss league, but it's just going to come down to how many outside shots the Nuggets It really make. does come down to that, all I mean, unfortunately. the Lakers can do so many different things offensively with Anthony Davis. Well, and to transition into the other series beautifully, it is a make-or-miss league. If Jalen Brown makes that corner three in game two against the Heat, it's a totally different series. He misses that, now the Celtics are down 0-2. I don't think that the Celtics can come back from this. What do you think? Oh, no. I, I mean, I thought, I definitely thought the Celtics were going to win that game last night up until the very end. And it sucked having to channel flip back and forth because I had like Landry and Chubb going in Thursday night football. And I'm like, oh, why are they on the same time? Oh, yeah. We had multiple screens going over here last yeah, night. I was yeah. Like, this is a problem I'm not used to having. <laughs> um, <laughs> Basketball and football at the same like, time. It's week two and it's the Eastern Conference playoffs, but uh, Eastern Conference finals. Uh, yeah, I. 
definitely, you know, Jalen Brown makes that shot. I mean, just a couple more shots. Kemba finally came back to life, and they had all the things that were working. Jason Tatum was having a very Jason Tatum game. Yeah. Not a great game and not a bad one either. Jalen Brown's been a little bit quiet. It's some of those bench guys have been better for Boston than I thought in the previous mm-hmm. series, and kind of like the Robert Williams of the world haven't really been as uh, apparent versus the Heat. But this Miami Heat team has a lot of just, like, intimidating guys. Not, like, physically, just, like... Just dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Even, like, Tyler Hero is so, like, confident in himself Mm -hmm. that it kind of is like, whoa, dude, how come I'm not as confident as him? (laughs) Well, and I think you're seeing a really interesting thing play out where the Heat are the best-conditioned team in the league. And they're also, I mean, not the youngest, but one of the youngest. And so they go into every single game being like, we've worked harder than you. Mm-hmm. And when you have that mentality as a player, when you know you've just outworked the other team in your preparation, you play with a little bit of a chip. You play with a little bit of a coy smile on your face because you know however the game's going, come the fourth quarter, I'm going to have more energy than yeah. you. I'm going to make better decisions than you because the first thing to go when you get tired is your brain, is your decision-making. And that's why you see so many boneheaded things going on. Mm-hmm. We even saw Jimmy Butler bobble a ball out of bounds last night, but he right. got the steal also too. So it's, I think we're going to see heat nuggets in the finals. I, I just think the Heat are going to win the whole thing. Uh, I think it's going to be they beat the Lakers. I think they beat the Lakers in six. Interesting. But, yeah, and this Miami has these guys like Kelly Olnick that are like normally like the hardest working player on your team, and he's like the seventh hardest working player on their team. Well, and I love watching Myers Leonard. The poor guy was starting for a lot of the season for the Heat, is now sitting on the bench, but he's the most engaged. He must be like... I mean, I'm never condoning drinking before games. But if he's out there, like, shotgunning beers before the game just to get out there so he can be, like, a fanboy for the bench, I wouldn't be surprised. Right, because he looks like he was in the pit crew. Like, Seriously. Yeah. yeah, he's so excited. <laughs> and and I don't he's think just, he's played in the playoffs at all. I think he played in the first series a couple minutes, but once they decided to go small is when they've really had their most success. And to see a guy like that have that kind of mentality, I mean, I just, you know, you, you wonder what could have been a little bit if he would have remained a blazer. Yeah. I didn't like him too much. <laughs> I was never a big fan, to be honest. That's, I mean, he is the it's, hammer. He has some other like, issues with him. I was like, why Why don't I like him? And then I see a video from his like second year, and he had that man bun. I'm like, that's why. <laughs> that's why. I and his now. wife's a better shooter than he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Forever and always. But uh, I think that's about all we got for today. Shane, you got anything else? Uh-uh, that's I'm a great podcast. Yeah, I am tapped also. Um, I'm going to go see if my air purifier showed up. Hopefully it has. Thank you, Amazon. Um, if you've made it this far, as always, we appreciate you. We love you. We out. Peace. I gave my love a cherry that had no stone I gave my love a chicken that had no bones I give Sorry
You've been so good to me. You've been so good to me. You know you make me wanna lift my head up and throw my hands back and come on now, come on now, a little bit softer 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 now, a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit softer now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit softer now. Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit softer now. Shout a little bit louder 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 now.